0: A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom." This beautiful passage from Isaiah chapter 11 reminds us that our Lord God can indeed bring wonderful life from that which appears dead. Hello, this is Father Thomas once again, and welcome to another of the Sprouting Stump podcast series. In this series, we dive theologically and spiritually deeper into various topics of our faith that might need a renewal so the grace of God can blossom more fully within our hearts.
1: In his final talk for the new manna retreat, Father Thomas discusses the fourth phase of the new manna, Holy Communion. He explores the deep meaning of manna as covenant.
2: This is before every one of the faces that we've been discussing, progression of relationship. Now we're the apex of what all the other faces are pointing to. This is definitely a significant face, because it it's ultimately the face that we want to be looking at all the time. All the other faces are contained in this. So if we progress on, it's not like we're ignoring the other three. They're a part of this one. It's almost like we're taking clay and we're molding it into something a little bit more and more. And if we mold it, really it's more and more of an indicative what the final product is going to be. So all the previous versions of the mold ended up being part of that. So we're in this fourth face. We can take the other three faces. So well, I'm not saying that bread of life face is important. I'm not saying the Eucharist is important. I'm not saying that the real for body and blood is important. What I'm saying is, the face of holy communion contains all the other faces, and that's the way it works. The progressive faces contain the previous ones, but the early ones don't. So we'll go ahead and start with the prayer, and we'll do the music, and then I'll continue the blast. So The verdict is something very simple, very powerful. It's the only prayer that we can pray, that we can accept the invitation of Jesus into the covenant with you. With we'll all our hearts, that so we can say yes, that we want Him to be our God,
0: that He also wants us to be His people. We Pray that we can make that.
2: Gonna say anything particularly you odd about the title of that song that we just say? Wedding song. Why am I playing a wedding song? Right, marriage is a covenant, right? It's also a sacrament.
1: sacraments sacrament. sacrament. yeah.
2: alright. Covenant and a sacrament. The sacrament is the points to a greater reality what deeper see in the senior, husband and wife. It's a deeper union taking place, but it is a covenant relationship, which means that nobody can break it except for God, who's not going to. We're playing that because we are called to be in, we talked about before, a covenant relationship with our Lord Jesus. And Jesus refers to himself as what? In a couple of parables, he calls himself the scribe, exactly so, here, that makes us the bride, so yes, man, suck it up. You are the so. uh, bride. Part of the reason why I chose to wear the owl, because What does it look like? A really, really poorly made wedding dress. Okay, so... But it is white, that signifies this idea that we're called to, but the clothes wear white, naturally. On your wedding day, this you're supposed come forward and ask that, Bride for your groom. And we as priests are part of that, we enter into a marriage covenant also with our Lord Jesus our ordination. So this becomes part of our wedding bar. So that's why we have the advantage that we put over it because this just does not cut it. So first we play a wedding song because we talked about this idea of God loving us, wants to be in union with us. When you're in union with somebody, what does that mean? The two things are in union, how many are there? One, and there's how many? one what? The two of you, but Jesus says, and two shall become one. So is it two other one? answer both, guys. Come on. <laughs> the Holy Trinity. Remember, there's one God, three persons. There's three, and there's what? How many are there? There's three, and how many others? There's one. There's the same way. But actually, there's not two in you married. How many are there? Three. Three. there's the third one. Jesus. Exactly. Lord Jesus. So when you get married to your spouse, who do you marry first? If you don't realize this, so i there's a little marriage structure. But upside of other and marriage, it is. In a marriage that is ordained by God, spouses spouse is married to Christ, and then He draws them into that relationship with each other. Because you can't be united to each other as human beings without having divine mystery to put you together. So you actually make a commitment first to Christ, and then He is the unites you together. So in every marriage, in the old, before Christ, was two became one, with Jesus, now there's three become one. Reflect the Trinitarian idea of love. And Jesus is a part of that. so, that's why we did this wedding song. Because it's the idea of what God wants. Now, what was the fourth phase? I didn't even discuss it. What's the fourth phase? Well, oh, fourth phase, what's the program? Back. The fourth phase is the communion. Holy communion. Yeah. Man and dance. covenant. Okay, you know what's interesting? Holy Communion is not the name of the Eucharist. A explanation. It's fascinating to think about what Holy Communion, the Church refers to Holy Communion. The Eucharist is what you receive. Holy Communion is what you do. You ask that you take in the, the Eucharist, and that is what you So The Eucharist describes the thing describes the act now that's how you think about that when you see jesus something is happening in holy community it's not simply you're getting something you're actually participating so you're doing something that doing something is not the eating part that's not the most significant thing so we think about love does anyone know what a good definition of love is? We all know it's not a feeling, right? Because feelings what? Come and go, correct? So you really have no absolute control of your feelings. So what is love? Decision, commitment, decision to do what? To give of yourself for the purpose of, for the other. To do what for the other? Build them up. You well, know, describe it in you know, a better feel, of, you know, spiritual terms. What is building them up? Because a coach builds up his football team and has nothing to do with all his love. To bring them closer to God. How do you bring them closer to God? By making them okay. Holy. Perfect. More well, godlike. Exactly. So love is the willful desire to make somebody holy. Now we say willful desire. Remember something when your will is involved, what's taking place? What's happening? So the sense for desire to kind of get close things off a little bit. It's actually your will to the good of the other. As soon as you say desire, what does that mean? If I desire to walk out of the church, does it mean I've done? It means I simply want to. So all my first words when I get to about the 12-minute mark, they desire to walk off. but they don't. They will to stay. Because the will is an act of choice. you say, "I am going to do this." So the will is engaged when you actually are doing something. So it's not a desire of feeling; it's actual action itself. If I were to put a pencil before you and say, "Try to pick up the pencil," what would you do? pick it up, once you pick it up, you will pick up your pencil because you actually have done something. Now you can say, I want to pick up the pencil, but take it away, if you can't engage you your will because you no longer have it. So the will is the you actually make choice to give up yourself for the good of another. Now, who is good? God is good. So, using the little wordplay, play, you will be one of the other. You will the good of the other, God is good, You will not God will the other. You will that they become more like God, right? And God is love. You see how this all plays? So love actually is a willful choice to make the other person love. I find it's complicated for some people because affection oftentimes gets confused to love and has nothing to do with it. You can actually love somebody with all your heart and dislike them with all your mind. Well, Jesus did it all the time. He did not like the Pharisees, but he loved them. Sometimes he doesn't like us very well. Because life has nothing to do with with love. Life is simply a response to something that says, I don't approve of what, blah, blah, blah. So, anyway, so. So i was get all back out in a second. Okay, so, wedding song. If Jesus is the bridegroom, we're the bride. And we all know that he loves us. So he wants what's best for us. You have to determine that. He wants what's best for us. And what is best for us? To be what? To be with God. Does love me like hanging out with them or something like that, you know, like playing cards or, you know. What does it mean to be with God? In union. Okay, look at the face. What do we call it? Holy communion. It's an act of union. Okay, so now we understand the important face. It's not describing things. Like I said, it's an action. Holy an act of communion with God. Now, as I talked about a little bit ago at length, in order for us to have the union with God, we have to be a little bit more, He has to be a little bit less, to some degree. God can't be less, but He kind of, that's that mystery of God, he makes Himself less without being less, all that kind of cool stuff. So He lowers Himself and raises us up. So we that relationship Because how many of you would ever say to your spouse, you know what? I was just like so much better than you when we got married. How many of you pick somebody to love that you thought was good You're not going to say any discussion but you didn't. So anyway, if <laughs> you don't, know you tend to pick, unless you have no concept of what love is all about, you tend to pick somebody who is on your same level. Why do you do that? Why do you not? I mean, now some people pick a partner who's less than them, but why do they do that? So they can be over you, correct? That's not what love does. So we're not talking about a broken relationship, we're talking about the ideal proper relationship. Why would a spouse want somebody on their same level? So you can be in unity, exactly. Because if they're above you, you're kind of going like this. If they're below, it's the same thing. If you want somebody who's kind on your same level so you can enter into that union with each other. Which is why for centuries the church really frowned upon Catholics marrying non Catholics. It wasn't because They thought that anybody else was not worthy. But there was a difference in belief and structure and everything. And we're Catholic, right? Even if you weren't, I'm gonna say this anyways. Jesus gave us the Catholic Church in order for us to become our best person. So the Catholic faith is the way to become our best person. And so the church wanted people to enter our best faith, uniting the best faith to bring about. A better best thing, so you can raise the best thing. See how that works? I mean, you don't take a good baseball player and put them on a team with a really bad baseball player and they say, I'm going to make a full series. It doesn't work that way. You pick good players you think, and you work together as a team, and that's the way marriage is. Well, if we're entering a marriage, guess what? Jesus doesn't want a bad player. So he wants to raise us up so we can enter into a special union. The holy Communion is that act by which God Himself comes down to say, "I am going to put myself in a position where I can enter into union with you." So think about that again. You got God. You know that really cool guy. He literally comes out of his home in the heavens, hang out here. He says to you. I want you to come forward so we can have an intimate relationship with you. I want you to come forward. I'm going to open my heart to you and let you come in. You open your heart to me and so I you come in. He beckons us to say, I want that with you. That is powerful. That's why Holy Communion is the fourth face, and I think the most important face and Sadly, sad the term is thrown around to really understand what it truly means. They're still on the bread of life stuff. But Holy Communion is a covenant bond with God. And every time we come forward and receive Him, it's a renewal of that covenant. You all know the Old Testament stories, right? God has always been renewing his covenant with the people. How many times did he renew the covenant? A lot. Like, what are the major renewals of covenant? When was the first time he made a covenant? Adam and Eve. Okay, good answer. All right, Adam and Eve. And then he does that again with? with Noah. Another covenant with Noah. Well, he raises the stakes for the next person. The next person is Abraham. Now, this is significant because part of what we're going to be doing points to this. Because with Abraham, the only time he actually does something to signify his relationship on a personal level, what was the, what was the covenant relationship with Adam and Eve? What was the sign of that covenant? Adam and Eve. Yeah. That's their covenant. But it, that was supposed to be a reflection of some covenant. The creation itself was the sign of the covenant. He made creation as a sign. It was kind of like... All of the creation was his wedding ring that That was his wedding ring, so to add to humanity to say, this is my expression of my cover with me. So they got a, like a really big ring You are talking about, wow, I mean, somebody wants a big rock, he had it big, so. So anyway, so that was it. What was it with that one? The ring it's getting a little bit smaller, but it's getting more, Person, a little bit closer to the home. The universe is kind of abroad. The rainbow something that kind of we have a little bit more of a connection. With okay, so now we've got an This is where God starts to raise the stakes a little bit. Because now he's starting to identify a people specifically for himself in such a special way. And now he's also already made that promise to know with it. I'm not to wipe the world out, so no matter how messed up you guys are, I'm stuck with this. That remind you of what is the of Marries, that's great. Right. No matter how much we messed up money? Uh yeah, i am stuck with you or your stuff with me. So however you want to phrase that phrase it the right way since like you This idea of we're in this together for good. So with Abraham, he does something unique. Do you remember what that beautiful image of the covenant was, what he does? Okay, remember what happens? He puts Abraham into a a what? Did you say trance? Or did you say a tramp? No, Abraham turns the tramp like himself, that was not done. So into a deep sleep. Now, who else will put into a deep sleep? You know why he put him in a deep sleep? Because it points back to what? Adam. So deep sleep reminds him of his original covenant with all creation. But he wants to get back to. Him, what things were like back then? So Abraham becomes, and the covenant would be saved. But now if makes devotion, we say, "Now it's devotion." to get it back to the way things were, even more. Because when God does anything and reduce it, what does He always do? He makes it better. to every covenant, actually increases the intensity. I and mean, because it always doing things better. Every time God interacts with us, He's always giving us something. To never walks away from us without giving us more in the Holy World before. Through any true interaction with God, you walk away better. If you don't, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. He always wants you to be better, so he always gives you the grace. So now we've into new covenant. With Abraham, he puts him into a deep sleep. When Abraham's asleep, what happens? Because Abraham did something before. Remember, we always have to participate in these covenant relationships. What does Abraham do? Signed, I mean, what did he do back then? Remember, yeah. it has to do with animals yeah. and yeah. Animals. Yeah. What did he do with them? Cut them in half. that's right. A little bit gorgeous, good thing we don't have a covenant relationship with God that way. So, anyway, he cuts them in half and he sets them aside and answers them that deep soup. Now, the cutting in half was so many symbolic different things. Now, the back then, it represented the person's understanding that if I break this covenant, may hey, this happen to me. But it signifies something else. Without God being a part of the covenant, what do we lack? What was that? Unity. So when the animals are split, is to say that without God being present, we are always divided in a most horrible way. So I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, like a goat cut half and look really pretty, and it doesn't function too well. We lack unity without God. When he cuts it in half, he says, without God being part of this, it says if we're split in half. We don't have the unity. So he splits them in half. He has to do deep sleep. And then what happens? What does God do? He walks Well, he doesn't walk between them, but what do we see? Fire. A smoking, like a smoking firebrand pot or whatever it might be. Like some of the horses that we choose anyway, Anyways, whatever it was, he put the pot, it's And what happens? What does it do? It passes. The passage between them is to say that I am that which will bring about unity in the midst of the greatest issue. You say that I am entering into covenant relationship with you, and I'm willing to enter into death to keep this covenant promise. So, the time of Abraham, he was already hinting at what he was going to do for himself. And he himself, to keep this covenant promise going, to make sure the covenant stayed, was going to literally split itself in two. So we have God who is this fire right coming through this fire button is God, God and say, now I'm in a beautiful relationship with you, Abraham. So I'm coming up to you. Now think about that imagery. What other time does somebody come forward between roads to enter into covenant? At a, at a wedding. At a wedding. That's why to do that. It's because the husband is supposed to be the model of Christ, calling forth his bride to the church to enter into union with them. To imitate that idea of passing through, like Abraham's covenant with God being Abraham, it harkens back to that idea. So, the bride comes forward, she is walking forward between that which is disunified in order to bring about unity. Because love always does what? It unifies. So, it was said in a wedding, come forward through the rose to enter the covenant. Somebody else also gave the right answer. Which is why do we do it this way? When else does somebody walk forward between the rose to enter the covenant relationship with somebody else during? Holy communion. The reason why they built churches like this was to model that idea of passing between to enter that union with somebody. That's why it's a shame when they sort of make the churches all wacky because you didn't really know where the rows were at, but at least they had at least a few rows. But that's the whole principle of it. Why we don't walk around and pass Jesus out when you're in the pews? There's two reasons for it. One, what is not out here in the pews? Okay, you're out here in the pews. What is over here that is not there? Okay, yes, the altar, but in the midst of the mass, of the altar is always up there. That's not down here. In the midst of during the mass, what is there that is not here? Now, because I come down here to do my holidays. Jesus. Sacrifice, Jesus. yes, okay. But so what sacrifice is taking place? Sacrifice of the lamb. Well, where do we hear about the sacrifice of the lamb? No, there was no lamb. Sacrifice of the lamb was passed well, away. Where else do we hear about the sacrifice of the lamb? In the context of the liturgy. Not from the Bible. Revelation talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb, the sacrifice of the Lamb. Revelation describes the liturgy; it's divine liturgy. There is no such thing as earthly liturgy; it's only divine. So, if the divine liturgy takes place, what does that mean? The liturgy has to have some element of what? Of God. Would we call that God place? Heaven. This really freaks people out when I tell them this. Turn back. you a prayer. I'm in heaven. Not symbolically. Not figuratively. Heaven actually comes down. It what's happening here at the altar is the same liturgy that's happening in the heavens. So, Heaven's come down to participate in this. So the angels and saints actually come down and hang out with us during the Mass. But in the sanctuary, heaven actually exists. Read in the Catechism, it's not like a feel good thing I'm saying. It's true. So when you come forward, what are you approaching? You're approaching heaven. And the reason why we come forward is because God comes down from heaven the heavens, places the tabernacle, the presence of God comes down to say, I am coming down to meet you, my God. I am coming down out of heaven. I'm gonna stage here on the cusp between heaven and earth to meet you. So we can be in covenant relationship with one another. So we can be united with an everlasting covenant father. So to be renewed with your love for me, my love for you. All that's taking place at Holy Communion is the only time it takes place. Now something needs to be kind of stressed here a little bit. We said Holy Communion was action, right? Eucharist is the object of God Himself. So when you're adoring God, where are you adoring it from? Earth. Even though Jesus is there, heaven is not. So outside the matter, you're as beautiful as it is, you're not in heaven. It might feel like it is in a static state or something, but you're not in heaven. When you come forward to Jesus, Heaven is connected to him, so you actually get to stand on the very end of heaven in order to take the hand of God and have a bit union with him. You know what we call that moment? Okay, we we'll talk about ecstasy. That's a good word to use, Abby. What does the church teach that after the marriage to take place in order for the marriage to be complete? Awesome, there has to be a physical union taking place to inflict the spiritual union. And that's the reason why they say that, is because the fullness of the marriage is their entire being has to be united, as we So when we come forward in communion, that covenant to be what? Consequently. Now, I don't want to get into a sex talk here, but I think we have to understand how it all works. We all have to understand biology. But the idea of that intimacy between a husband and a wife, the giving of You actually have one entrance into another who forms themselves into another in order to generate life. Jesus is asking us to take him into ourselves in order to generate life. So holy communion is a marriage sacrament. We just don't call it that. Because it doesn't confuse everybody. That's exactly what it is. The reason why I love this space so much is because there is no time in your life unless God gives you special grace for most people, like most, most people. You will not be close to God at any point in your existence I mean, Why you in this world than when you take into yourself and hold you. Because you are united with God in that moment. It says... Be with me, and I will be with you. He lowers himself out of the heavens in order to enter into union a union. That's what we call an old communion. It's a beautiful act that Jesus himself says, I want to be a part of you in a very special way. And I want you to be a part of me in a special way. The reason he has to lower himself down is because when I not he was ascending into heaven. He brings heaven down to us. So, as we come forward at communion time with the bride, we're coming forward, and the angels are actually singing a wedding march when well, we're doing that. That's why we'll sing what before at the end of the prayer of Eucharist prayer, what song that we we'll sing right ahead of that? What's the song that we're all singing? Holy, holy, holy! That's right. Now we're talking about God, but we're also talking about a moment. We're about to enter into a holy moment. The whole Eucharistic prayer, everything but the Eucharistic prayer is God's way of preparing Himself to give Himself to us. That's His way to live Because you see, in order for God to be prepared to meet us, He actually has to diminish Himself to some degree. Now you know what's taking place in the Eucharistic Prayer. When is God diminished the most? At what point in His life is He the most diminished? Crucifixion, His Passion. Exactly. You know what's happening in the Eucharistic Prayer. Right, the fullness of the Passion being brought to the reality of It's not a reenactment. This reality actually comes to us. It's kind of difficult to explain. We can't go to the past. It's the past actually comes to us. So it's not to be crucified again, it's the original crucifixion actually comes into the present. So he, in a sense, experiences his passion. Think about this. Think about how much God desires you. He chooses to experience his passion every time you celebrate the past in order to lower himself to be united with you. Could you imagine doing that even once? He experiences that all the time. That's what how much he loves us. How much he desires to get beauty with us. That's why the Community is so powerful. That's why this face is so beautiful. Because it's God Himself saying, I'm willing to go to any length in order to be united with you. To be a part of you, to share myself with you. So that you can grow in the perfection of love and spend all eternity united with me. That is amazing. He only get that one place. Here. God takes his entire household. He takes the angels and saints and says, Come on, guys, we got work to do. He pulls heaven down. He says, I'm going to give the priest the power to do here what's taking place in the heaven above. So we share in that. So Jesus becomes that connection between heaven and earth. And we unite that moment, the lesser with the greater. Just like you imagine us, the lesser with the greater. The fascinating part about it is, there is one moment in our existence. And this is the only moment in our whole existence. Even after the second coming, this will never happen. This is the beauty of the Eucharist for the Holy Community. The only time. You will actually stand as God's equal. It's the only time that you will stand before God as his equal. Now, I need to paraphrase everything you understand <laughs> this means. You are not God, you are not equal to God, but he treats you as if you were. When I say you stand before him as equal, I'm going to say that you are his equal, you stand before him as his equal. He looks at you says, you and I are to be one. And what do we say in order to have unity? You have to have what? That to be similar, correct? Well, how can you have Holy communion if you've got something so much less and so much greater? So God elevates us and says, I look at you as my equal, not because that you are, but because that's the way that I see you in this particular moment. So we have to be standing before Jesus as the one moment that we can stand before him, face to face, as his equal. Because you can't consummated of it as his servant. You can only consummate it as this that's just him. You might be thinking that's crazy, I'm not God. I know you're not God, but ultimately that is your destiny. We are destined to become God. But because God is infinite, it's gonna take eternity to get there. So it ain't gonna happen. I don't have any point why at the end of eternity. But we get to share in that. That's the beauty of Holy Communion. People just don't grasp this. That's why when Jesus the Last suffer, he handed himself out so casually. Here, take this bread. this is my body. Take it, eat it, guys. You know what he was not telling them to do? At this particular moment, he was not saying, I want you to adore me. He was telling them what? You are no longer my servants. you are my, my friends. The reason I used the term friends is because if you would have said that you are my spouses, it really would have been a little bit tough for people to grasp that I understand. But he raises them up and says, you're no longer my servants. Now I'm elevating you to become a liar, because I'm still your master. I always will be your master. But in this particular moment, I'm telling you that maybe you find equal as my friends. One of the things I teach people in marriage, practice, and I should talk to you guys tell them this, but one of the hardest things about marriage is that you are called to be both master and servant at the same time. Now, if you wonder what that means, you have to come to one of my marriage directions. That is what Jesus does with us. At the same time, He's our master, He's our servant. At the same time, He's our God, He's our spouse. And in that moment, we take Him into ourselves, we are united with Him as His equal. It is the only time that happens. When you get to heaven, guess what? It's no longer like that. We'll so spend the rest of eternity adoring Him. But in order to prepare for that, He gives Himself to us in a very special way. It is the most intimate encounter in this life that we will ever have with God. It is powerful. The thing that you would be offered. Intimacy with the divine being. That's Holy Communion. It's a beauty that I can't even describe just how powerful it is. Did you see how all these different faces have been leading to something greater and greater? He still nourishes us in Holy Communion. He's still pointing to something greater. He's still our, brother, he's still our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the God that is above us, but now we are entering union. That God. When the priest is doing the uh, preparing the altar, getting things ready, notice that he puts a little bit of water in the chalice. You know what words that he says? Through the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled Himself to share in our humanity. God brings Himself down, raises us up. And that's what Holy Communion is all about. As we enter into that, what we're saying to Jesus is, I want to give myself completely to you. That's what the Greek were writing down in the promises. Because those promises that you wrote out should be something going through your head every single time you receive Jesus in the Eucharist. Every single time you come before you, you should be saying to yourself that particular prayer. Because of the renewal of that covenant over and over again. Jesus wants us to always be renewed in that covenant to remind us of not only our promise to him, but his promise to us. Just like manna was every single day. Constantly in the Eucharist, we're being reminded that God is in covenant with us. He's always present to us. That's why the church has always been pushing for frequent reception of the sacrament, to be reminded not of that we need God, but also that he wants us. It's not a one-way street. We so oftentimes think how us being so miserable as sinners, and we are. And thinking about how much greater God is to us, than He is. But we lose sight of the fact of how much we mean to Him and how much He elevates us. And if He's willing to elevate us at that particular moment, what does that mean for us? He's willing to bring us to that moment of standing us as His equal, what is He telling us? This is what you are made for, this is what you are capable of. He's telling us, because I give myself to you, you are capable of being my equal. To the extent that we can be fully giving of love. That's His grace. The only thing stopping us from giving ourselves completely to Christ is what? Ourselves. The devil can't stop it. The world can't stop it. Only we can stop it. God sure as heck isn't going to. We are capable of doing it. We are capable of great acts of love. Not a few times, but all the time. We just have to believe in that. Because we are a spouse of Christ. and Because He's our spouse, He wants the best for us. Good spouses always build up their spouses. And God's a good spouse always pouring himself out to us. He's doing it in the sacrament of the Holy Communion. He's doing it in confession. He's doing it as we offer our prayers. He's doing it as we go on a retreat. Every time we make it happen, with love, Jesus gives himself more to us. He's building us up constantly. Love generates love. Love wants the best. The Holy Communion is an opportunity to experience the best for us to be our best. We have to realize that because it's a powerful moment when walk away. Because once you get to your queue, how long do they take to your system? I forget what they say. two minutes or something like that. Because when the properties of the host are no longer bread, presence of God is gone. Do you understand, do you understand that? That's the right? teaching. So, when the of the bread are no longer bread, when it's dissolved enough that you can no longer say there's any bread there, then the presence of Jesus is gone. And I think they say it takes a couple minutes for that to actually happen. I have no idea. Unless you have, like, something. But anyway, so while He is in you, you're approximating that relationship. And then once it's gone, go back to being the endorbed, the servant. That's why we have adoration, to reminds us that outside of Holy the communion, we are not God's equal, And He is the great God that we've humble ourselves before. But that's the reason why in communion, you don't come forward and fall on your face before Him. I mean, theoretically speaking, you're before God, what you going to be doing? Falling down on your face, shouldn't even be standing, shouldn't be you shouldn't be kneeling, you shouldn't be sitting, you shouldn't be doing anything, you should be on your face. Like I cannot in any way raise myself up before the great God. He doesn't want you to be on your face. He wants to see your face. He wants to experience it. He wants your face to be His. That idea of marriage, do think about this? How many sacraments were there beginning creation? What did God say to Adam and Eve? Out of this day shall become one. And this is why a
0: man shall leave his father, his mother, and night of his two shall become one. Marriage would be all the old necessary marriages. If Adam and Eve had lived out of marriage, all other sacraments would not have been necessary because all other sacrament of the sacramental graces would have been present in that gift. Why? Because the marriage covenant with Adam and Eve was supposed to reflect the marriage covenant that God wanted with His people. When they broke that, then they needed to fix it. But, we can thank them for that because after that happened, we now get a new way to relate to God that was even deeper than Adam and Eve could have had. Because before Adam and Eve, what was the covenant? The reminder of the covenant. We said, "What was the covenant ring?" Creation. Creation. What is the new sign of the covenant for us? Every mass, take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood. Does to ring. Make sense now? The blood of the new and eternal covenant. What is the sign of the covenant now? The the blood of Christ. So now it's no longer creation that's the sign; it's God's life is the sign. His very heart bleeds as a sign of His covenantal promise for us. That's even greater than all of creation. That's His wedding to us. That's a pretty cool way to be of it. That's how much we mean And that's what we should be experiencing in communion. Every time we enter into that, he's giving himself in a very special way. These words should be echoing in your head as you come forward. I will be your God and will be my people. I will be your groom, and you will be my bride. That is faithful to you. There's no more beautiful face to gaze upon. Do you stand before the Lord, in the heavens, and gaze upon you face to face? That's how much God loves us. And that's why it's so wonderful to be able to participate in that. Okay. that's why God gave us the church so we can experience that not just once but over and over and over again next time you go to mass which I hope will be this weekend when you see Jesus being given to you I want you to really reflect on what's happening at that moment If you really spend time reflecting on it, you're going to have a hard time receiving it. Not because you don't want to, it's going to almost make you motionless. Think take God. You that God wants to be united to you. That is love.
1: What an incredible and touching wrap-up to the new manna retreat. Father, would like you to continue to ponder that the term Holy Communion is the most common face and what most people would call the new manna. Yet it is without question the most misunderstood of all the faces, The face of Holy Communion is unique, for it does not denote a spiritual doctrine as much as a physical and spiritual action. Holy Communion is in truth not the name we give to the actual host, but the action of receiving the host into ourselves. This is such a crucial point to understand, for it points to the nature of this face. We receive the body and blood of Christ in the action of Holy Communion, or we can just as truthfully say, we receive the new manna as we enter into the new covenant. How do we enter into a covenant? Through the promise we make, through a willful desire to enter into a relationship, through a sharing of self with the other we enter into covenant with. Holy Communion is the action by which we unite ourselves physically and spiritually to our Lord Jesus. Every time we receive the body of Christ, we are renewing our promises made when we first entered into covenant with Jesus at our baptism. It is more than just a promise. It is a consummation of the covenant that brings new life. God bless.